Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious morning. We thank you for the breakfast we've had and the worship we've sung together and your table that we've participated in. And now, God, we come to your word. And what a gift, what a treasure you've given us through your word. And we pray that by the power, the omnipotent power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak, that you would bring life, you would bring conviction, restoration and healing and blessing, and that we would see you clearly, hear you clearly, and that we would give you the glory that is only yours. We thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Help us to celebrate that well this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is Resurrection Sunday. You can keep your Easter and your fertility goddess and your rabbit and your eggs. I will take the empty tomb and the risen Christ. Thank you very much. Somebody's like, what in the crap just happened? Sorry if y'all don't say crap. I shouldn't say that. It's like walking through Walmart and I feel like Paul in Athens, like my spirit is vexed. What is all this? Give me Jesus, because I'm so holy. I'm better than everybody else. Ha ha, ho ho. I know, correct. I know, I know, I know. I say in jest. I do have to admit that this year, this day, this week has really snuck up on me. I mean, I know it's the week leading up to... Resurrection Sunday with all the articles being posted and some people post day by day of Holy Week and memes and planning and special services, Tenebrae, which was great. So in that vein, yeah, I saw it coming, but if I'm honest with you all and myself and God, my mind, my heart just haven't really been engaged in this process this year. Um, I don't know really why, but it's the truth. But, but it's put me in the place of gauging my thoughts and my reactions to the truths that make this season what it is. I was talking to Lily the other night on the way to Tenebrae, and I said, it's really cool. It would be really cool to be able... Have y'all ever asked the question or heard somebody ask the question, name a song or a movie that you could listen to or watch like you'd never heard it or seen it before? You know, it's like... I'd like to see, I'm a Star Wars guy, I'd like to see Star Wars one time like I'd never seen it before. I probably wouldn't like it as much now because I saw it when I was like five. But like to be able to see that movie for the first time again. And I would really, 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 really love to hear the resurrection story once like I'd never heard it before. Now listen, as I've gotten older, it's gotten sweeter and more precious and deeper and greater. But I would kind of like to hear it one time. Because it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. I'm 49 years old. I know I don't look it. And I can't remember a Resurrection Sunday when I wasn't in a church remembering the resurrection in some way. My 49th Resurrection Sunday. And He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that truth is no less special, no less amazing. I don't want to intimate that I'm tired of it. It's not that. It's not that. I just know that I get so easily distracted from the glory of the truths of what happened all those years ago when Jesus Christ, 
the God-man walked the earth. So what I'd like to give you today is an accounting of what did happen that Passover weekend when Jesus was crucified, when He was dead and buried, and then He was resurrected. And I'd like to ask you and myself to answer this question in light of His death and resurrection, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. As we move through these passages today, and we're going through big chunks today. We're not taking our time word by word. We're taking big chunks. We're taking story and we're going to respond to them. And I want you to ask yourself this question, these questions, as we move through these passages. Jesus died on the cross. So what? Jesus Christ came back from the dead. So what? And we've done this before. We've asked that question before. But I want you to ask yourself that as we move through the Scriptures this morning. And let me say this. Maybe this morning, within the sound of my voice, whether in this building or out in cyberspace somewhere, maybe you don't believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Maybe you're like, it's a good group of teachings that I don't really adhere to because eh, there's just a lot that I question about the Bible. And, And really, critics have really scoured the Bible and they found holes. I would refer you to last week's message, if that's you this morning. And if we can go to that, Nick, okay, yeah, 2 Peter. I would remind you of what we went through last week in 2 Peter 1, 16-21. I'm just going to read that real quick to remind you where we're coming from. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter says, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and He's talking about the transfiguration, and the voice of God was born to Jesus by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." That's where we stand today on the scriptural accounts. They're eyewitnesses. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we mentioned this last week, Paul says that at one time, in one one instance, over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ after He was dead from crucifixion, buried in an empty tomb, and then raised on the third day. Over 500 eyewitnesses. We do not follow cleverly devised myths. The Bible is not a book written only by man. The Bible is a book written by men as the Holy Spirit, who is God, God the Holy Spirit, inspired those people to write the words that God wanted recorded so that we might know Him. So that's where we're coming from as far as the Bible goes. It's not a question of if it's true. The question is, since it's true, then what? So today, ask yourself, what would need to happen if what we're about to go through really is true? Or to put it in a better way, what should happen since it is really true? Since the Bible says what it says and gives us the truth of who Jesus is and what He did, and since Jesus died on the cross, 
Since Jesus came back to life, so what? What then? That's if you're an unbeliever. When a believer, follower of Jesus, in light of knowing that God's Word is inspired and true, ask yourself the same questions. For you, for us today, since Jesus did die on the cross, so what? Since Jesus did come back from the dead, so what? So what? Well, let's piece the account of the history from the Bible, the revealed, inspired Word of God. First... Jesus' death on the cross. We saw that Friday night in our Tenebrae service through John's eyes, John the Apostle. And today we're going to look at it, Matthew's account, as we read Matthew 27, verses 32 to 54. And again, just going to read through this, the very Word of God. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross! So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders, they mocked him saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now just so you know, that's noon to three. It ain't normally dark noon to three. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And by the way, they were waiting on Elijah as the Jewish culture to come back before the Messiah would come. So they're saying, oh, he's bringing bringing Elijah. So they're getting excited. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, 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 wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection... They went to the holy city and appeared to many. There were some crazy things happening in Jerusalem that day. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now look at who was there and how they processed this death of this man who was God. Of course, there were Roman soldiers there, centurions, which means a group of a hundred, century. They were there doing the actual crucifying and they were very good at it. They knew how to make people suffer and they knew how to make people dead. There were two men, one on each side of Jesus being crucified at the same time. There were passers-by and bystanders. 
And other places tell us that some women who had followed Jesus and at least the Apostle John were there too. And let me ask you this, what were these people's responses to Jesus' crucifixion? As we gauge what our reaction should be, it says they mocked Him, they wagged their heads, some were sad, and generally most were disgusted and dismissive as they would be if this had been any other person hanging on a Roman cross. Maybe even a little bit more derision due to Jesus' proclivity to doing God-like things in His life and teaching. But there is some mention of recognition of who He was after the earthquake when the centurion and those who were with Him keeping guard over the body say, truly this was the Son of God. But by and large, disgust at the crucified Christ. Okay, so now the resurrection, which we'll look at according to Luke's gospel. Luke 24, 1-12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, they being the women who had followed Jesus, some of the women, taking the spices they had prepared. They were going to put the spices on the body because about day three, day four, the body starts to stink as it starts to decay. And they didn't want the body of the Lord stinking, so they took spices. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This was a big stone. This wasn't, this wasn't this, okay? This was big. It would take three or four men to move it away. And this thing is rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in to the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Dead bodies usually stay in tombs. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, Jesus had said this many times in his ministry to those who followed him, that the Son of Man must be delivered up to the chief priests and then to the Romans and then be crucified and then be resurrected on the third day. And it went one ear and out the other. They never got it. And they remembered His words. Oh, look at that. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Judas had committed suicide by this point, so there were only eleven apostles. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But, now to the apostles... These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter, who was ever curious, rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by himself, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So who came to the tomb? We know the women came to spice the body. Angels came to the tomb to announce the resurrection. And we see Peter going to the tomb. And earlier in John's account, we saw John went there too, just to see what was going on. And what are the reactions to the empty tomb? It says they were perplexed. They remembered his words. It seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe. They ran to see, and there was some marveling. Hmm. Well, this is weird. Whatever could be going on at this empty tomb in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? They had not a clue. Not a clue! Now, let me say this. Maybe you're one who says, well, if I had been there, 
And if I'd seen all this stuff with my own eyes, then I could believe it. No, you wouldn't. They didn't. With eyewitness accounts of the crucifixion, burial, and an empty tomb, they still didn't believe. Even his disciples at first. Even with having been with him for over three years, hearing him say he had to be crucified and raised again, then watching him die, then finding an empty tomb, crickets, nothing going on up here. What in the world? Where did they take his body is their first question. (laughs) And they still had problems believing in the midst of it. But let me ask you this question. How many graves have you ever went to that was empty? How hard would you find it? What would you somebody robbed this grave? That would be your logical conclusion, right? Yeah, it would be. The Bible is so realistic and shows us as human beings for the doubting and forgetting creatures that we are. Even the apostles. Even these women who loved him so. Well, let's move on then to see how all of this fleshes out. Luke says this in the opening of the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, which he would have written from a lot of these same eyewitnesses, but some years later. In the introduction of Acts, Acts 1, 1 1-3. In the first book, O Theophilus, which, comma, semicolon, pause. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts to one person. Over half of your New Testament so that one person might know the reality and the truth of who Jesus was and what He did. Yeah. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, which means ascended, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, aha! Now we see that Jesus was presented alive to His followers after His suffering, which means His death, by many proofs. He says that Jesus appeared to His followers during 40 days, which really interesting, He only appeared to His followers Man, if I'm Jesus, I'm standing on the temple steps going, ha, ha, ha! That's not what He did, though. He presented Himself to His followers for a period of 40 days, many convincing proof, in which He spoke about the kingdom of God. And then it clicked with them. How much did it click with them? Look at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, which was 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus' followers. Acts 2, starting in verse 22. Peter says to the throng gathered there going, what in the world is going on? As they sounded something like a whirlwind and they see all these people speaking in languages they don't know, preaching a gospel they'd never heard before. Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Wow, what a statement, by the way. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, by death. For David says concerning him, he quotes a psalm, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. 
for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And that ends Peter's quote from the psalm that David wrote. And then Peter gets back and says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David who wrote these words that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of David's descendants on David's throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but David himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Back to Peter off the quote. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, for certain, that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now don't miss this. Peter, who had even denied Jesus three times the night before he was crucified, this Peter who had ran to the empty tomb and just could not compute what was happening until Jesus would show himself to Peter in those 40 days following his resurrection, well, just look at old Pete. What's happened to him? Well, just before his sermon, Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit of God Himself came down and filled all those who were with Peter in the house and they all went out and started preaching the same gospel of the kingdom that Jesus had preached in His 40 days post-resurrection. And that had made all the difference. Listen, it wasn't until God Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit came and lived in His people that they started understanding and living out the truths of who Jesus was and what He had done. And we mentioned this on Wednesday evening. Christianity is a full-blown supernatural religion. You cannot know God. You can't apprehend the crucifixion or understand the resurrection without the direct intervention of God's Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, has to take the veil off your eyes. He has to give us access to the beauty and power of the implications of these incredible historical events. Listen to me. You will never figure it out cognitively. It has to be apprehended spiritually. You ain't so smart that you're going to figure this out and say, okay, I'll accept these truths. But watch what happens when that same Holy Spirit puts the crucifixion and the resurrection in focus in the grand plan of God. We'll see this through the amazing letter to the Roman church that a Christian killer named Paul wrote after God arrested him and opened his eyes to these truths. And we're going to be reading from Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 6, and Romans... Eight. <laughs> Those of you who have been around, if you know, you know. First, Romans 1, 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by... His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And herein lies the importance of the actual resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
Listen to me. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of this is wrong. All of this is pointless. We need to pack up and go home if Jesus didn't actually rise again from the dead. It all hangs on the resurrection. And we'll come back to His death on the cross and more resurrection later. But here, Paul, again, who had been dramatically changed when the ascended Jesus, the dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended Christ, appeared to him one day, many days after Jesus' ascension. Jesus appears to him and shows Saul slash Paul that Jesus was indeed declared the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was God's way of showing that Jesus was truly God the Son. And if that's true, then what? If Jesus really is resurrected, then what? Tim Keller says it this way, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what He said? The issue on which everything hangs, Keller says, is not whether or not you like His teaching, but whether or not He rose from the dead. Did you catch that? The most important question in the universe literally is this. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? If He didn't, forget Him. Or visit the stories about Him at your leisure and preference. But if He did, well then that really changes the narrative. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead like Peter said He did, like Luke said He did, like John said He did, like Paul said He did, like Jesus Himself said He was going to, then God Himself has spoken and verified the claim that Jesus is God and demands your repentance and obedience. Not asks you if you want to repent and be obedient. He demands it. Because He's Lord and Christ. But our main problem is not one of whether we believe or not. Our main problem is that we're dead spiritually, all of us, when we're born, and we literally can't believe on our own. Which brings us back to the supernatural Holy Spirit whom we need to move into our lives and give us His life so we can understand that we are sinners, that we do need a Savior, and that Jesus' death on the cross is the way that we receive forgiveness for our sins. Paul says it this way in Romans 3, 21-26. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He's talking about the Old Testament. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. Listen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one, listen, who has faith in Jesus. So what he's saying here is that Jesus' blood, so He's crucified, there's a lot of blood involved in a crucifixion, in the crucifixion of Jesus. They had beaten Him, they had flayed Him, they had stripped his flesh off of him. They pulled his beard out. They punched him. Then they put nails through his hands and through his feet. There's a lot of blood going on here. And that blood, Paul says in Romans 3, 
was God putting Jesus forward as a propitiation by His blood. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Someone suffers in someone else's place to atone for the sins of the one who's not crucified. Jesus bled and bore the punishment in His own body for the sins of His people and that blood that poured out is the forgiveness purchased for them by His crucifixion. That's why we can only come by faith that Jesus' blood will take away our sins. That's why we celebrate the body and the blood every Sunday and we remember and proclaim His broken body, His poured out blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's what our faith is in. And the same Holy Spirit that spoke in Romans 3 gives life on the basis of what? Resurrection. Look at Paul's explanation of this in Romans 6, 1-11. What shall we say then? Are we continuing sin that grace may abound? By no means. Now listen, listen. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, immersed... No water here. This is not about being water baptized. This is being immersed into Christ... Union with Christ is the basis of our salvation. In Christ, in Christ, baptized into Christ, we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried therefore with Him by that baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him. Do you know that, Christian? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That. Let me give you three sentences to try to help explain all that. You need to spend the rest of your life trying to figure that out, by the way, with the help of the Spirit. So as we trust in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by faith, we are actual participants in Jesus' death and resurrection. We share His death by faith, and that makes us dead to sin. And it takes away the power of the sins that held power over us. They're taken away, paid for by the blood of Jesus. And then we share His resurrection by faith. And that gives us, as believers, as followers of Jesus, supernatural life that has overcome sin, has overcome death in the grave, so that we might live differently than we did before we were born again. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. Just three verses out of Romans 8, verses 9 to 11. You, however, Christian follower of Jesus, who've put your faith in His finished work, in His death, burial, and resurrection, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, listen, believer, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And this verse, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Oh my goodness. Oh, that we would see this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, listen, Jesus was dead. The Spirit was out of the body. And we know that He started His victory lap, by the way. He went and proclaimed victory to those spirits that were held in prison. So He was busy. He was doing stuff. But His body was just laying there. But then His Spirit, the very Holy Spirit of God, re-entered His body on that resurrection morning. He breathed in that first breath and He walked out of that tomb. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away. I hope you are familiar. It ain't like, let's let Jesus out. There wasn't a stone in the universe that could have kept Him in that tomb. We see Him just popping up in people's midst. Hey, y'all. Shalom. They're like, what the... <laughs> but the same Spirit that re-entered His dead body now dwells in us who have placed our faith in the finished work of Christ. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And since that's true, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now we've been working through First and Second Peter in our Sunday morning messages and we took a break today because of Resurrection Sunday. But we said a few weeks ago, Peter said a few weeks ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we have been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And that everything is by and through the very life of God given to us in His Holy Spirit whom He has caused to dwell in us. And now listen, this Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, we do believe in a Trinitarian God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we believe that God the Holy Spirit dwells in us so that we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit of God who gives us this power, this supernatural life and grace given so that our old, plain old mortal bodies might walk in obedience to the Father who gave us of His very own Spirit. The death and resurrection of Jesus is not some ancient story told to keep wayward youths in line or to give hope to dying old people only. No. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is life and light and power and majesty and glory for all who believe in Him today. C.S. Lewis says, Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death 
Everything is different because he has done so. End of quote. And if it only happened back then, if it was only true back then, if it only affected those people, we're hopeless. Alistair Begg says this, Jesus is risen. He's not 2,000 years away. He is here. And you may call on Him and find Him to be a Savior, a friend, and a King. He is here. He's not far off. The church of Jesus Christ is called the body of Christ. And He is the head that fills all in all. He died, He was buried, He was resurrected, He ascended, and He is reigning today, and He is here because of that resurrection. He's also here because of that resurrection. And hopefully He's here and here and here and here. And what I think and what I see and what I say and what I do is the very presence of God doing His works through me as I abide in Him and the fruit of the Spirit is produced through me because of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. He's not far off. He is here. For unbelievers, this means the very hope of having your sins forgiven and eternal life given to you as a free gift by the grace of God. For believers, it's the very lifeblood flowing through their veins that makes it possible to worship and obey their Master. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is life for all who would believe. Since God became a man and was born and lived a perfect life, then died a sacrificial death on a Roman cross, since He was buried and then was resurrected on the third day, which we celebrate today, since that's all true, Lost, dead people in their sins, sinners, can have new life. And those born again can see the very life of God lived out through them. And it is literally the best news that has ever or ever will be told. And some people sit here today and don't believe it. Some of those who have believed it are still yawning at it or don't believe it, or don't see how it applies to their lives, and they're struggling, and they're suffering, and they're, they're jumping in sin every chance they get, and they're going, what's wrong with me? And what we need, all of us, unbeliever and believer, is a reorientation to the truth of the death and the resurrection of Christ. We don't need new theology. We need to master the old stuff. We don't need another book. We've got the Bible. Nothing wrong with books. C.S. Lewis says this. Our second C.S. Lewis quote of the day. Y'all might have heard this one before. It's a little lengthy, but stay with me. And my question here before I read this quote is this. What are you going to do about it? Jesus died on the cross. So what? Jesus was raised to new life out of the tomb. So what? What are you going to do with the historical truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus did? C.S. Lewis says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, which is this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. Lewis goes on to say, That is the one thing we must not say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious, seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. End of quote. <laughs> I would add to Lewis's statement, if I dare, that if Jesus really did die by crucifixion to forgive my sins, your sins, and then if Jesus really did come back to life, and that was God's way of confirming Jesus' deity, you can't just say He was a good teacher with some nice words to think about. And if it's all true, then what? What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Jesus said this, Jesus said to her, this is at the tomb of Lazarus, whom he's about to call out of the grave. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks her in the face, and I would say he looks us in the face and says, do you believe this? Sounds nice, doesn't it? It's a nice thought. I'm never going to die. Does that mean that my body's not going to cease functioning? That's not what Jesus is saying. You were born dead spiritually. But those who have trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God has moved into their lives and now the very life of God abides in them so that when this body ceases to function, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave... I'm present with the Lord in spirit. And that spirit never dies. Ever. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And so the question again is, so what? Do you believe this? Maybe you're sitting here doing something, I'd really love to, but I don't know, man. I get it. Jesus saved me when I was five years old on my grandma's front porch. I'd like to say I remember it like it was yesterday, but I'm 49 and things are a little foggy. But I know it's true. And there was a restraining power in my life that was always saying, that's not for you. I'd try. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit would always say, that's not for you. And let me tell you what, in 44 years, I have been far from perfect. But Jesus' blood ain't failed me yet. 
Every sin that I've ever committed was paid for because Jesus Christ died on a cross and shed His blood in place of me for my sins. He absorbed the penalty for my sins in His body, poured out His blood, offered that blood to God the Father, and God said, yes, I'll accept your blood in place of Jason's. Jason deserved death. Jason is a sinner. And I'm going to forgive him of all of his sins because Jesus stepped in and shed His blood on my behalf. And God said, I accept that. And by the grace given to me by God Himself, I believe that. Listen, I was five. I didn't know nothing. Except that chocolate tasted good and I was really starting to love pizza already. We didn't have those little pepperonis back then. I don't know, maybe King Tut did. Anyway, I hadn't figured nothing out. And the grace of God grabbed me by the heart and said, I'll forgive all your sins. Just put your faith in Jesus. And by the life that He gave me through His Holy Spirit, I said, okay. And later Jesus would say, unless you repent and become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom. What's a child like? A child comes and says, Daddy, what's the answer? And Daddy says, it's Jesus. And I go, okay. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. What will you do with the work of Christ on the cross? For you. You're like, well, I don't believe in it. We've already established it happened. You're like, well, you did. I just, I just don't, I don't believe it. I can't do anything about that myself except speak the truth and trust God to do what only God can do, which is to raise you to new life in Christ where you go, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and the blood of Jesus is the only way that I can be saved. Jesus was raised from the dead, risen from the grave, to give us new Holy Spirit-empowered life so that we might become obedient to the commands which we could not do in and of ourselves in our mortal bodies. But if He who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, if the same Holy Spirit dwells in you, then He will give life to your mortal bodies so that you might keep His commandments and give Him glory in and through your life. Jesus Christ was risen and is risen from the dead. So what? So you come to Him and say, I need the power of your resurrection life to live the way that I need to live. And you need to do that every day. You don't do it once and then say, well, I did that already. No, no, no. The posture of the believing, risen from the dead, Holy Spirit-filled Christian, the position for the rest of their life is repentance turning away from the old and turning toward the new, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year, always repenting and always seeking His power to do the things that I could never do in and of myself. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to give life to our mortal bodies. What are you going to do about it? You're like, well, what should I do about it? The question is not whether or not the events of the cross and resurrection are historically accurate. There's too many witnesses, too many testimonies of these truths. Jesus is not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. 
you are commanded to bow your knee to Him now. Because listen, the Scripture says, the Holy Spirit breathed out Scripture says this, at the end, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only real question is whether or not you'll acknowledge Him as Lord in the here and now and obey Him in your earthly life in life of what He did in His earthly life. At the very beginning of His ministry, we hear this directly from Jesus Himself in Mark 1. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The next statement is this. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the command to everybody that's hearing me speak today. Repent and believe the gospel. You say, well, I've already been saved. Repent and believe the gospel. I've been saved 40 years. Repent and believe the gospel. I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never heard this before in my life. Repent and believe the gospel. The command is the same for every single person who has ever walked the face of the earth. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of His people, was dead, buried, resurrected on the third day, showed Himself alive to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. Then He ascended into heaven. Now He's sitting at the right hand of God where Scripture says He ever lives to intercede for His people. And one day He's coming. Oh, glorious day. Repent. And believe that. That's what you're commanded to do today. And maybe you sit here and say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, which is actually called the Revelation of Jesus Christ, we see this in Revelation 21, 1-8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor... 